Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidinol, founder of Leading Australian Podcast Agency and 2021 Australian Podcast Awards finalists, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way, pursue your passion, and why there's really nothing better. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Sometimes it can feel like all of the entrepreneurs around us have angel investors or VCs backing them. But in reality, a huge number of startups and successful businesses out there never took outside investment and instead were bootstrapped and founded on a shoestring budget. That was certainly the case for today's guest, co-founder and managing director of Icarus Media. Lutch Banya. In today's episode, Lutch shares how she empowers the women of Myanmar through her portfolio of digital publications, why education is the gateway to freedom, and why your plan A may not always be what's best for you. For those of you who haven't yet posted about our podcast on your socials, or if you're new here, firstly, welcome. And please do take a screenshot of this episode right now. Post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs and help us in our mission to empower you all to pursue what you're most passionate about through entrepreneurship. Okay, peers, without further ado, welcome, Lat. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. I'm really excited to be on the show too. Thank you for inviting me, Michelle. Of course. You know, you and I recently connected and when I looked into you and all of the incredible work you're doing in media, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Most welcome. It's my pleasure. Amazing. So for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm Lach and my full name is Lachmi Banya. Lachmi is the goddess of prosperity, but I'm not the goddess of prosperity. So I'm a Nepalese born in Myanmar. 
And I grew up there, started my entrepreneurship in Myanmar. I studied in Singapore. I did my master's there. And after the master's, I went back to Myanmar to start my entrepreneurship. And that was right the time Myanmar got democracy. And I thought like there could be ways we'll be able to democratize information. So that is how I came about founding my company. So that was nine years ago. We are going to be 10 years coming year. So it's a whole decade of being in the media business. And in 2021, the political crisis happened in Myanmar. So I accidentally become a digital nomad. So I was in Nepal for 10 months. And then after that, I came to Thailand. Currently, I'm based in Chiang Mai. So I'm operating from here. Oh, the life. Lach, can you only imagine Thailand digital nomad life uh, is everything we need, especially after the COVID time. So interesting. I knew when I looked into your business that you were doing such interesting things, but I can't wait to dive deeper into it. Before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, what was it like growing up in Myanmar pre-democracy, you know, what was that time like for you and how did it impact the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? So I grew up in a very small town called Mogok, which is in the northern side of Myanmar. The education assess was not as good as the current situation back then. So we went to public school and like the education in public school was not this good. So we had to do extra work outside of the school to learn English. But the good thing about going to these public school was it got us very resilient and have the grit because nothing was ever easy. You have to work really hard and find your ways to get from point A to point B. And I don't know, like somehow it got deeply ingrained in us. And I think it somehow benefited me a lot as I started my entrepreneurship because grit is really very important and staying resilient or being resilient is super important. So yeah, I think my upbringing affected that a lot. And like my family is very close-knit and loving. So got a lot of moral support from that as well. And as we grew up, we moved to a larger city called Mandalay for our father education. In Mandalay, we started getting exposed to more libraries and British Council, American Council. So we'd go there, borrow books, and I like, start reading. And like the more we started reading, the more our mind started expanding. And like we started seeing all from just different perspectives. So it was like a gradual process of growing up, both like physically and intellectually. Oh my goodness. I love that. I always love asking that question because I think where we grew up and where we're from hugely impacts, you know, what we do with our lives and how we see the world. You know, way back then, even when you started reading those books and whatnot, how did your vision of the world around you change or how you viewed the world around you change and heading into then university and I know you studied abroad, you know, how did your mindset shift during that time? So I started reading and I think one good thing about readers is like when you start reading a lot, then gradually you find the need to start writing as well. And like when I started writing, I started knowing how to express myself more or like how to articulate more. Or like, you know, sometimes I would have things that I would like to express, but I wouldn't know how. And like when I was reading books, I would always go, oh, this is it. You know, this is what I wanted to say. Now that I know how to put the words across, I'm going to use that. So like, you know, gradually collecting all those vocabularies or like the way of like articulating things and like, gradually it was very helping. And when I started writing, I started knowing that I have 
deep belief in education, which somehow like after a couple of years started like transforming into a business idea. I had this huge belief in education and the power of a media outlet. So when I went to Singapore, it helped me connect with more people because like reading books, there would be always something to talk about, right? Like with strangers or like other people, you can always share about the books that you have read or like sometimes you would have like they share their good books that they have read. And then like I share mine, like it, it somehow like helped me make friends when I started studying in Singapore. And then I started getting exposed to more ideas. Like what is women empowerment? And like, what is it like? And like, what is mental well-being? And all these kind of questioning that we never had, like pre-democracy in Myanmar, things were happening, but there was lesser media outlets or like any of the sorts, like resources for people to rely on too. So like, when I was in Singapore and like getting exposed to these kind of things, which somehow started from reading the books and like talking to more people and like getting the mind expanded. So it was all helpful and it didn't make sense back then. But like now looking back, it all like somehow like connected into a whole business idea, which I started after coming back from Singapore. It's so interesting, isn't it? How books sparked your idea or ability to be able to connect with people that then led you to open up more, which then led you to your business idea and the confidence to do that. I think it's always so interesting how things connect. Although at the time, it often feels like it's all messy. Nothing connects. We don't know what we're doing. Did you ever feel that growing up? You know, you mentioned that it was rigorous in the public school system. Did you ever feel that like, oh my goodness, this is all so hard. It's all so messy. I have no idea what I want to do with my life. And if so, how did you navigate through that? So the thing is, I didn't get enough marks to get into medical school. And till then, I was thinking I want to get to medical school. And I had not realize that that is not I want, you know, that is something like society tell me that I should want. And I was thinking that is what I want. And I didn't get it. So I missed the medical school by seven marks. And the thing is like in Myanmar, the marks between male and female was very different as well. Male would get into medical school at low marks, whereas like for women, we have to work extra hard to get into medical school. So at first, I was very disappointed because I didn't have plan B. My only plan was I'm going to get into medical school. And that's when I started thinking like, okay, I'm going to study something. I need to get myself out of Myanmar to continue my study. But the education was very expensive, like going abroad, living and like, you know. So what I decided was like, I'm going to get into language school. So I got into University of Foreign Languages, which got me BA in English in the meantime, I was doing other stuff like accounting, certifications, and all these kind of things that can somehow land me a job later on, right? So I was preparing myself for all those things. And by the time I finished my university, after three years, then I was already done with the accounting too. So I thought like, one crunching numbers, I felt like my life was totally black and white. I don't like it. <laughs> I love talking to people. I'm more towards like marketing or like HR person. So I want to explore more into these kind of thing. And that is one. I decided to get out of Myanmar. I went to Singapore, continued my master's in business administration. After that, I came back to Myanmar and then started the business. What advice would you give to our peers out there listening who experienced something similar to you? You know, they had their eye set on the prize. For me, it was finance and I was going to be a CEO of a big corporation. And then 
everything shattered for me, similar to what happened with you, with your remarks. I didn't end up getting into the corporate firm I wanted to get into. And sometimes it feels like the end of the world, you know, for our peers that they're listening, who feel like they're chasing this dream or this goal, but they don't even know why they're chasing it. It's like society has told us to do it. What advice would you give to us around getting clear on what we actually want? I think the clarity would be a process because nobody would know clearly, you know, like I want this, I want that. I think that would be very superficial as well if we just decide right on the spot. So I think it might take time. It's okay not to have the clarity. It's okay to still feel confused of like what you want and what you don't want. But the thing is to spend time with yourself to know like what are your strengths, what are you good at and how to play with your strengths rather than focusing on like what is not good and like what I didn't get and like what I got, you know. And sometimes I think like when I didn't get into medical university, I thought like my whole like, you know, the dreams were over and like no plan B and everything. But sometimes I think it's a blessing in disguise. But it just takes some time to realize, okay, that was not what I want. And then just showing up, doing the walk and like trying to figure things out. So I think like gradually you somehow find the way. And sometimes like this way turns out way better than something that you had always wanted. So, you know, I don't regret at all that I didn't get into medical university because it somehow led me to start an entrepreneurship, which is making an impact and like helping a lot of people through this business. And it's also making money for me. So this is a dream, right? I would never be doing this if I pursued the medical university. So sometimes it's a blessing in disguise. So it's okay not to know, not to have things figured out. Just take it as a process and take it slow. Blessing in disguise. I love that. I want to talk about the decision to start your business. So you've done all your studies abroad. You have come back home and you start your company. Talk to us about what that time was like for you and what made you start. I started writing when I was doing my master's degree and I always thought like I want to go back and do something that is focused on education, but how do I do it? I want to do a business out of it and I don't want to be a writer or like any of those sorts. But then again, I was trying to analyze the market back then. And what I saw was one, the country got democracy towards the end of 2013. The country was democratized, but the information was not So there was a lot of censorship. There was no freedom of voice and all these kind of things back then in Myanmar. That is how we grew up. So all of a sudden, now we have the democracy. So now people are going to have more exposure to things. And like, this is a perfect opportunity for people to expand their mind. For us, I got the opportunity to go study in Singapore. There are millions of people still in Myanmar who might not have like this opportunity that I got. So I thought like, okay, I'm going to go back, start a media. But back then, the will was there, the determination was there, but I wasn't clear on how to do it. Because I never had experience of like running a business or like creating a media outlets or anything. So it started small and I saw this market gap where there were two types of media in Myanmar. One is focused on news media outlets or like investigative journalism and all these kind of thing. And another was mainly entertainment media outlets. So we thought like, okay, how about I create a media outlet to help people stay more well-informed. So that was the vision. And I thought like, okay, if I were to do it, if I were to focus the whole market, then I won't know how to do it. I'm going to go very niche. 
So that's when I decided like I'm going to focus on women only because I believe like women have that influencing power. So I thought like, okay, in order to create a change, how about we get this like catalyst of change, you know? <laughs> so we started Gunaway Magazine in 2013, which is a digital first media outlet. And in 2013, the telecom sector was not as developed as it is right now. So the internet assets were very slow and everything. But I had this vision that now that the country is opening up, a lot of companies are going to come. And then like gradually, we are going to have more internet access, more mobile phone access. So my aim was in the next five years, we make sure like this business survive, then we are going to make sure our media outlets start becoming a lifestyle companion for people. And towards 2015, when the content consumption format started changing, people started consuming more video content. So we decided like instead of just letting our magazine just die out, we started learning how to create a video when I didn't know how to do it. I was outsourcing, but I didn't have much money because we started this whole business on a shoestring budget. <laughs> so I outsource for one program and I picked up all the like how to and like everything I was looking and like learning and like when I came back to my office I was like okay we need to start investing in the equipment and then we started gradually doing that and like we started hiring people and like started forming a video production team so we measured our KPI in two ways one is like the impact that we are making in the society because that is why we started this media right we are like okay what is the impact that we are making and how much is the impact that we are making and second thing is how are we making money because only then we'll be able to sustain so we were always trying to find a balance so first one year was really difficult to when we started in 2013 because the product was still brand new we were still trying to figure out how to do it the whole concept was very new as well so it was hard to like talk to advertisers about things as well whereas like advertisers were more focused towards entertainment media outlets where they were getting a lot of reachability and everything so we had to literally walk through the clients saying like at the end of the day you might want to know where your money go then like we were producing these kind of contents in a way such that it was helping people to stay informed it's like creating an impact together so we started thinking like how do we create win-win-win situation for my business for the clients that we're investing in us and for the audience who are spending time reading our contents whereas they could be spending time elsewhere you know but gradually we started making money and like it somehow supported the impact that we managed to do because we had more freedom to reach out to more people and like talk to more people engage with more people at what point for you, you know, you mentioned like a couple of years in and then we got our first break, you know, was it three years in, was it five years in? When did you start to feel like, oh, I can breathe a little bit. The business is starting to work. What was that timeline like for you? It was one and a half years after starting the media business. First one and a half years, I was making zero money. There was no money at all. It was like creation of the product, trying to make sure the product has the right fit and everything. Towards like mid-2015, I think we started making money and it was all about like how to scale, how to continue doing this, how to continue repeating this process so that like we make more money and we can start hiring more people and like get things more in place. So, so when I got into this business, I told myself that starting a media is not easy and I had given myself this mental preparation where I was constantly telling myself I'm going to give myself five years time. In next five years, if this business survive and if I can sustain it, only then I would call it this is a successful thing and my business is like, you know, doing good. 
before that, there might be projects that I get, there might be projects that I don't get, or I, I might not know how to make money, I might find ways and all these kind of things. But then again, I was always constantly telling myself, I need to sustain this. It's not one time thing. It needs to be sustainable. So I had given myself five years time of mental prep. So it gave me a bit of breathing space when I was not making money at all in the first one and a half years, but we were operating with shoestring budget. So unlike other media companies back then in Myanmar, who had money to inject into their business. So like when you have money to inject into the business, then you can increase the reachability and like visibility of your brand and all these kind of things. And so like it's faster for them to make a success. Whereas for us, it was slower, but the foundation was very solid because we were doing a lot of mistakes, learning from it constantly, jumping back and like, you know, learning through trials and errors and like seeing what works and like what doesn't work and like trying to multiply more and like what is working, double down on what is working and like continuing with that. So that way it gave us like a lot of plus point, but it was gradual process. Yeah. Oh, that. It is such fascinating and such interesting convo. I am mindful of your time though. So I have a couple of final questions for you. And the first one is, what has been your greatest failure and win to date? There has been so many failures. You know, Michelle, when I tell my teammate, we always tell ourselves, like, let's reframe our perspective towards failing. Failing is at this point the best friend that we have because we learn the greatest through that. So if we were to look back, so once the business started scaling and everything, right, we started expanding in two major cities in Myanmar and we had about 30 employees working in different cities and like we were producing videos. We were giving a lot of services to people. We were creating impacts through our media outlet. And then 2021, during the COVID, we re-strategized and like at first we were like, uh, we didn't have clarity how to do it, but like we quickly re-strategized and a lot of companies started moving towards digitalization. So it was helping for our business because ours was all digital and they all needed this kind of service. So business was doing way better in COVID. And then we thought like we were preparing the whole teammate for the scaling because we thought like we are ready for that. And we felt ready for that as well. And 2021 January, we had everything in place, the process in place. People were trained enough. We started gaining clients. And 2021, February 1st, we woke up to just another normal day. We were thinking it is just another normal day, but the country went through the political crisis. I wouldn't call it as a personal failure, but like I think that's a very big obstacle that was for us and a very big challenge. And when that started happening, at first we didn't know the magnitude of the whole thing, but gradually after two months, they started killing people, airstrikes, bombing and everything. And that was one, I started thinking to myself, like eight years of entrepreneurship, I don't know whether I'll be able to continue again or not, because it started affecting the economy. The whole economy started collapsing. The whole educational sector started collapsing. The whole healthcare system started collapsing. There was like a lot of killing in the country. But the whole thing that was built over the last nine years for the country, the very reason why I came back to Myanmar to help in the reformation process through the work that I do. And now like seeing the whole country getting back to where we were in the first place. And like worse than that, there was a lot of killings and everything happening. And like I had a lot of griefs that time. I was like grieving for the scaling that we were going to do, <laughs> grieving for the 
employees that I had to let go because these people were sticking with me all throughout. I tried to like make sure like they stick around till like August. But after a while, we started like drawing out a lot of our cash reserve and we had to let go. Whereas they were very well trained, very good people who have been there like up and down, like all throughout with us. So it was a very hard decision. And like we started losing clients one by one uh, because clients' businesses got affected after the coup as well. They started saying like they can no longer afford the marketing and everything. So looking back, I was like, oh, we worked so hard for eight years, nine years. And now seeing everything like, you know, it was very hard to make sense. <laughs> so they started doing a lot of media crackdown and like detaining people who was influencing power and everything. And my media at that time was reaching out to 11 to 12 million people each month out of 54 million in population in Myanmar. So it's one fifth of the population. So the voice was loud. And so when they started detaining media companies or people who have a voice, all these kind of things, I felt like it's psychologically unsafe for me to stick around. So I decided like I need to leave the country. Only when I'm psychologically safe, then I'll be able to continue doing the work and like help other people. So that is when I decided to go to Nepal. That's when I realized I had that entrepreneurship burnout, PTSD from the political crisis and the survivor guilt because a lot of my friends were getting detained and all these kind of things. So I was doing a lot of exercise and fitness and it somehow helped me a lot in healing myself. I was going out a lot in the nature. So after 10 months of sabbatical and after 10 months of going underground for our whole media company so that our teammates are safe and our families are safe, and finally, we reached to the point that, okay, we are going to uh, resume our business. So I came to Thailand and we started operating again. And this time operating again, starting the clean slate. It was hard because like I went through a whole lot of identity crisis and imposter syndrome and all this kind of thing when I was in Nepal. I was like, who am I without my walk, you know? <laughs> Because like along the way, as a founder, you start having blurred boundary between who you are or what your business is because you have to passionately advocate for your brand and like be the spokesperson and somehow you forget that who am I without my work? What is my value without my work? And all these kind of thing. And I went through all these kind of thing when I was in Nepal and started realizing that, okay, this is a perfect opportunity to like reflect on who I am as a person and like what I want to do and all these kind of things. So I came to Thailand and we resumed the walk. And like, at first it was really hard to resume. And I was talking with a psychologist who was telling me like, let's, when you started like nine years ago, you didn't have any network. You didn't have teammates. You didn't know the know-how. You only wanted to do things. You had the will and determination. Other than that, everything you picked up along the way. And now look at you, you are starting from zero again, but then again, you have your, competency you have your network you might have to restart but then again you have all these resources that you collected over the years and she was like the biggest resource you have is you and then I was like damn mind blown you know <laughs> that one line was so deep <laughs> I was like, yeah that's right when I started this company I didn't have anything but I still had the audacity to go ahead and believe in myself and like do things and now that I have to restart I'm like, it's okay. I'm going to do it. And then like, I restarted. Like, We resumed our business this 2022 February. Now business is up and rolling again. And then we recently released three more brands. So we are still finding ways how to help our people in Myanmar at the same time, like how to create a sustainable business model. It all falls down to like making impact and at the same time creating a sustainable business model.
Wow. Let breathe out. Oh my goodness. I'm just taking all of that in. Wow. Your last kind of 24 months, two years, I can't even imagine. So, so scary. And it's such a testament that you were able to push through and also allow yourself to take a break. I think as entrepreneurs, we always, you know, where it's our baby, how could we let go, you know? And I think the fact that you were able to take that time for yourself because you were forced to, you had to. So look, Latch, before I ask you the final question, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, you know, for showing us, in particular us, young, ambitious women of colour, that if we have that vision, that goal and that dream, even if we have no idea how to get started, we can do it. And even if it knocks us down so many times, we can keep going. It's possible to get there. And for that, we really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Of course. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Well, I think... It's not always very easy pursuing what you are passionate about. And like even after falling down like so many times and still like, you know, finding a reason to keep on going and still continuing to be passionate in this thing that you are standing for, it's not at all easy. But along the way, you start realizing like for me, the best value that I get out of this is like now I have the more freedom of time after like setting the company to certain extent. And now that we are restarting and everything, it's taking time. But then again, I have more time freedom when it comes to like deciding, for instance, I'm going for a retreat next week for 10 days. If I didn't pursue all these kind of things, the whole entrepreneurship or like pursuing the passion that I'm passionate about, then I don't think I would have the time freedom. And I would say like time freedom is the new rich, especially at this age. And when we started doing this uh, whole remote walking, I realized like there is no geographical thing that is spinning you down. So like now we have more freedom to move around, to continue doing things. So I think like all these kind of values are still gradually something that I started realizing after things went up and down, you know, and I really appreciate that we get this whole like we're creating impacts, we are making money and like we are restarting the business again and like revamping the brand, doing the amazing work that we are doing. But then again, now remotely and like which gives me more freedom to like go out, uh, do the hiking or like go for a run in join and all these kind of things. So like I think enabling this kind of lifestyle is the best value I got out of pursuing my passion. Was it easy? No, definitely not. But nobody said it would be easy, right? (laughs) Nobody said it would be easy. What a great way to finish today's conversation. Oh my goodness, Slash, thank you so much. It has been an absolute blast chatting with you. Where can we learn more about you and Incaris Media? So for our website, we are still restructuring the whole thing because we had to go underground and we and publish a lot of our social media existence. So for Icarus Media, it will be coming soon. For Ganaway Magazine, Ganaway Daily, we have a YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, and all these social media outlets. And also for Parenting Love, the same 
Or you can just like personally like follow me on Instagram where I have mentioned all these links and like done link building for all these media outlets that we have. Or you can just follow me on LinkedIn. And my LinkedIn presence is Lach Banya, L-A-C-H space B-A-N-I-Y-A, Banya. Perfect. Thanks so much, Lash. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. It has been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I loved having the conversation with you. Of course. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.